experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all and uh, courtesy of Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Uh, we will be bringing you the show this morning between 9 and 12. Um, we will be looking at uh, Andrew Webster's uh, interview from uh, SENZ Afternoons with staff yesterday. Um, so that'll be uh, interesting, get some takes from that, and uh, we'll be discussing that uh, in the first uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, we'll play Stumped early today at 9.30, because we've got to have a bit of a shift around. So Stumped at 9.30. Uh, Plunkett Shield update at uh, 9.40. That's what my sermon's about, actually. Uh, just after 10 o'clock, uh, Justin Nelson, of course, basketball commentator, Hoopheads is back on SENZ tonight. This time it's sponsored by Sal's Pizza. Of course, they are the major sponsor, too, of the NZNBL, which returns to our screens and courts this week. The panel with Victor Waters and Aidan McLaughlin, uh, and then uh, we'll have some text, hopefully, uh, as a result of that. Uh, we'll speak to Aaron Hamilton. Now, Aaron is the Hawks Bay Racing CEO. Got uh, the Hawks Bay Cup Day coming up uh, a little bit later on uh, next week, and uh, I've got April fifteenth actually, and I've got some interesting innovations uh, around it to try and engender some interest in the event. Talk to Araha uh, around about uh, eleven thirty this morning, and uh, of course Araha will be part of Ag Insights as we march towards midday. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, a clear indication as to where domestic cricket has sunk to has played out at Saxton Oval in Nelson today. It's the final day of the Plunkett Shield competition, the most hallowed trophy for cricket in the land. The Central Stags carry a lead of 191 runs into the final day, have to get enough runs to allow enough time to bowl out the Auckland Aces, not Auckland, just the Auckland Aces, and so doing, capturing the Shield and doing the double. They don't. Canterbury win. Of course, they won the Ford Trophy last weekend in Napier with little coverage and a ripple of applause. There'll be even less fanfare in Nelson, even with free admission. Incidentally, like last week, this will play out on a non-school holiday working day. So it's little wonder. There is no coverage really accessible. I noticed today on Stuff, today, that the uh, I regard as the Oracle, that outlet I often turn to for updates. There's two cricket stories. Yet another one-day international team named to tour Pakistan this time, uh, dominated by Canterbury, no surprise there, and a story on Kane Williamson's knee injury. I grant you that is very important information going forward. So how has something so proud and special in terms of its heritage drifted slowly away to this point where, bar a few players, it means very little, if anything, apart from nuisance value? As an exercise, it will be running at a considerable loss. I imagine pretty much all domestic cricket will be. So in a way, you can see why New Zealand cricket went for the extra bucks for the Black Caps rights to this roundabout, because something simply had to prop it up. The only problem there is that deal has turned to custard also. At least TVNZ have headed into the slip cordon and caught the ball for that. 51% owned by the government, or actually you and me. So in a way, we are bailing out a sport that in many ways very few of us seem that interested in. Very confusing, very depressing. Makes me want to buy a box of beers, head on down to the beautiful Saxton Oval, sit on the bank and reminisce with myself 
about the good old days and ponder as to where it all went wrong. Well, at least it's free to get in. Nine oh seven. Forgot to tell you in the preview that we're also talking to Ricardo Ball. In fact, we're going to do that right now. He can star the show to begin with this morning. Uh, it's been a record-breaking season for the Premier League in terms of sackings, with twelve so far this year. Do you see the trend continuing, Ricardo Ball? Do you see the trend continuing? Who else is in the barrel at the moment? Well, it's a really good question, Smithy. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if there's anybody left that can be fired, to be honest, the way it's going. But uh, you'd have to think there are still nine teams battling it for battling the relegation. Um, David Moyes, he got a win on the weekend, beat Southampton 1-0, but I think uh, he is still under a hell of a lot of pressure. Um, we've seen Brendan Rodgers go from Leicester, of course. Um, Conte go from Spurs and Graham Potter go from Chelsea. But I think it's... It's at that bottom end that, yeah, if you're going to see more turnover, I think it may well uh, happen there. I mean, Southampton have already sacked two managers this season. Um, I I can't see them uh, doing it again. I think they've just got to stick with what they've got um, and and probably rebuild for next season, um, regardless of whether that's championship or premiership. But, yeah, I I think probably the big name uh, that is still under a bit of threat and, and may see a door, uh, had, had his backside uh, before the end of the season would be David Moyes at West Ham. Right, interesting. Okay, uh, let's. Uh, would you have any idea the proportion of um, British managers or UK-based managers to overseas managers? Off the top of my head, uh, no, but we can work that out, Smithy, because, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned David Moyes, uh, and he is one of very few, especially now that Brendan Rodgers has gone. Uh, he's, of course, Northern Irish, uh, but he is no longer there. So, I mean, if you go through uh, the, the Premier League at the moment, you've got a Spaniard in charge of Arsenal, you've got a Spaniard in charge of Manchester City, you've got a Dutchman in charge of Manchester United, um, we've got an Englishman, an Eddie Howe, in charge of Newcastle. So there's one um, that, I, that I can give you. And then who else have we got? Uh, well, Tottenham are still looking for a full-time manager, so we can probably leave them. There's an Italian in charge of Brighton, a Dane in charge of Brentford, uh, an overrated German in charge at Liverpool, um, a Spaniard in charge <laughs> at uh, Aston Villa, uh, an Argentinian in charge at Fulham, no one in charge at Chelsea at the moment. Palace, it's an Englishman, but it's a 75-year-old Roy Hodgson. Uh, you've got a Spaniard in charge at Wolves, a Scotsman in charge at West Ham. Uh, Everton uh, are starting to look all right under Sean Dyche, who's an Englishman. Uh, there's an Englishman at Nottingham Forest. There's a Spaniard at Bournemouth. There's another Spaniard at Leeds. No one at Leicester. And uh, I'm trying to remember where the Southampton manager's from, but he's not English either. So um, if you look at that uh, reckoning there, there's one, two, three, uh, including Hodgson, four. There's, I think, five, should we say, UK managers out of the out of the 20. Do they panic? Are these sackings overreactions? Do they give them enough time? I think some of them are. I think some of, some of them, they uh, are, are panicked. 
Like, you know, Ralph Hassenhutl, for example, was the manager at Southampton. I think he did a pretty good job with what he had. And this season, beginning of the season, they basically had brought in a bunch of young players to develop. They were changing the direction of the club uh, and how they operated. So they were bringing in young players who they thought were going to have massive sell-on potential. And, you know, it was obviously a uh, not just a footballing direction, but also a financial direction at the club. Um, and you need time to bed that in. I think they pulled the trigger on Ralph Haas and Hoodle far too early, and, and you can see where they are now as a result. And Graham Potter's an interesting one. Uh, he had seven months, and they spent £600 million on players. But I don't know that he had any input into who those players were. Like He was complaining he had too many players. He had a squad of 34 Smith. Can you imagine being a manager or a coach and trying to coach 34 players when you, know, you can only put 11 out every week? Um, that's going to be a tough job. And he, he didn't have a striker. didn't have one guy whose job it was to put the ball in the back of the net who was a number nine. So Potter, I think... Uh, he had seven months there, but I don't think he had the support he needed. And I also don't think he ever got the fans on side. I've got friends who are Chelsea fans who, you know, a month in was saying he's the wrong he's the wrong option. We should we should move, we should sack him now and move on. Um, so, yeah, I think Potter probably just went to the wrong place. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes next. Right. Let's uh, look at uh, your beloveds, uh, Manchester United. I always find it interesting uh, about players-only meetings, because I was, I was part of one, actually, uh, in the New Zealand cricket team when things weren't going well. Uh, we had a players-only meeting, and um, that was about us lifting our own act, uh, not blame, putting it on the coach as such, but saying, look, we've got to look in the mirror and be a bit better within our own self. Do you think that was the theme of what the players' meeting would have been at Manchester United? Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be around that. I mean, this, it was after the loss to, to Newcastle uh, the other day. You're talking about 2 0, which was up at Newcastle, and they had a players only meeting in the dressing room after the game. Um, Luke Shaw talked about it. Said they they weren't good enough. I mean, it was straight after an international break, um, so a lot of them had been away and then come back. But I think the problem at Manchester United at the moment, Smithy, is just Ten Hag doesn't trust enough of the squad. Um, stories are that he's already basically told eight players that they can find a new club in the summer um, and he continues to put out the same team and when you you know I think I mentioned it to you once before but between uh, January the 4th coming uh, you know and March the 5th when they lost 7-0 to Liverpool um, they had played 19 games in 64 days or 63 days which is just ridiculous in terms of the strain not only on the body but on the mind uh, and I, I just think that they I just think that they're exhausted, to be honest. I just don't think uh, there's enough options there at United. So it's the players doing what they can to G themselves and each other up uh, for a final push through the season because they've got 11 games left in the Premier League and they desperately want to be in the Champions League next season. They've got an FA Cup semi-final and then they've also got uh, the quarterfinals of the Europa League. So um, they've got a lot of football still to come and it's just whether or not they can they can push themselves through it. Double yellow, uh, double red card actually this morning, Tottenham and, and Everton. Um, and Everton uh, through Keane scoring an absolute cracking equaliser. Um, so, yeah, um, two, I think, uh, warranted red cards. Uh, and Everton sneaking a point which they really desperately need. Yeah, they do need it. And, um, you know, it's managed to, uh, that, that point has pulled them out of the, um, out, out of the bottom three, uh, they now sit 15th, Smithy, but 
let me read, let me read you this list. Um, so the, you've got Crystal Palace are 12th with 30 points. They just had a win on the weekend. They're on 30 points. With 20, with, they've got nine games left. Then you've got Wolves just below them with nine games left on 28 points. And then you have West Ham, Everton, Nottingham Forest, and Bournemouth all on 27 points. And then the bottom three is Leeds on 26, Leicester on 25, and Southampton on 23. Um, so, you know, Everton, a point was great, but, you know, there's still a lot of work to do there. I'll tell you the other thing to look at, mate, is look at the goal differences. You know, West Ham, for example, and I mentioned Moyes earlier, they're just not scoring goals. They've only scored 25 all season. But they've all only conceded 34. They've actually got better defensive record than Manchester United and Brentford and Aston Villa and Fulham who are all above them in the league but they're just not scoring goals but what it does mean is that their goal difference is only minus 9 whereas teams around them it's like minus 19 minus 18, minus 27 so that could be seen as another point when it comes to the shake up at the end of the season Right, let's go uh, domestic if we can Ricardo because there are slightly worrying signs at the Phoenix for me Uh, they're starting to look like they won't be having home advantage in the playoffs unless they do something about it. Yeah, it did look that way. I mean, you know, I was I was willing to um, suggest that Adelaide things had just gone wrong. They they went there without Oscar Zavada, their talisman, their goal scorer, and they had a lot of chances and just didn't put them away. But they conceded five, which is which is never a good look. I mean, that Adelaide team is very very good. They just beat Western Sydney Wanderers, who were second in the league, three two away in Sydney on the weekend as well. So. You know, you've got to put that into perspective. But they played Melbourne Victory, and Melbourne Victory are better than the better than where they sit. But you know, before this weekend, they sat bottom of the table. You've got to beat bottom of the table if you're serious about progressing in the competition and having a home home advantage come playoff time. Um, that is the second time they've lost to Melbourne Victory this season. They lost to them only a few weeks ago over in Melbourne as well. Uh, you could say they're a bit of a bogey side, but I think the timing of this. Uh, you also look at, you know, mentioned the Adelaide loss. Um, it, it feels like maybe that momentum has been lost with the announcements of Ollie Sale and Clayton um, as well, um, and then and, and Stephen Ugarkovich all going next season, um, and still question marks over where Ufuk Talley is going to be. You know, David Dome said that he's fielded interest from Asia and from Europe, um, and that there was nothing in those Melbourne Victory rumours, but. You've got to think that that's unsettled everybody, right? Um, because they don't seem to be the same team. They don't seem to have the same cohesion. So yeah, I think it's a bit of a worrying time. And Ufuk Talley has really got his work cut out to pull them all together because they need uh, to probably now get three wins from their final four games, I think, to guarantee themselves a home a home semi-final. Who will be the next custodian then? Ollie Sale confirmed as going to Perth of all places. Who will be the next mm. custodian? If I was going to put, if I was at the TAB and running a book on it, um, I'd put Stefan Marinovic in. Um, he's been there before, obviously, the All Whites keeper, and then he's he, um, Ollie Sale came in as number one, and they decided not to renew his contract because they they had this young kid coming through who they thought could um, do the job, and you know it was probably the right call. Uh, Marinovic has since gone and played in the Israeli Premier League and uh, a few other places as well, but he's now out of contract. So if I'm the Phoenix. Um, you've got a, an established international who knows the club. He's a Kiwi, so he doesn't take up an import slot. Uh, I reckon you go and have a chat to Stefan Marinovic and get him back, and he'll be the number one for next season with Alex Poulsen and, uh, pushing him for his spot. OK. Uh, Alex Rufa has uh, shown his commitment to the Phoenix by re-signing for another three seasons, so they've got an on-the-park leadership they can guarantee. Mm. 
Yeah, and that's that's good to see. It was interesting. I mean, I, I used to do a, a show with um, Alex's uncle, Winton, um, you know, and he said to me that Alex had had opportunities overseas. He'd had trials at German and Swiss clubs and opportunities there, uh, but he decided then, and this was probably three or four years ago, he wanted to stay at the Phoenix. Um, so he did that, and uh, and and now he's done it again. Um, and and you know, he I talked to him last week on Phoenix Nation, and he said he just loves the club. Um, he said the club has been really good to him. Uh, he loves Wellington. Uh, he's, he said it's a great fit for him. It's a great fit for his family. And uh, he didn't see any reason why he should look anywhere else. They offered him a good deal. He's captain on the side. He wanted to stay. And like you say, it gives them leadership and it gives them some continuity, especially as they're le- losing two of their um, midfield uh, we know of in the in the off-season with, with both uh, Clayton and Yugakovic off, uh, off uh, back over to Australia to MacArthur and Melbourne City. So, yeah, I think it's a good move by the Phoenix. Uh, I think we've got 12 players now contracted for next season. Um, and uh, I know they're talking to Callan Elliott. They're trying to tie him down. He's out of contract at the end of the season, and he's had a little bit of interest out of the UK. So we'll just have to see where Callan Elliott ends up. Just like the All Whites, it's uh, it's a bit of a problem finding a, a champion goal scorer who is New Zealand based and who can play for the All Whites as such. I mean, we've got Chris Wood. Um, he's the talisman as such up there at front at the moment. But when you see a guy like uh, Oscar Zavada come in, who I think when he was first signed, no one expected would be topping the goal charts, uh, the goal charts for the Phoenix. So what about the the, the the find, the search, the find of local goal scoring talent? Because it seems uh, from the outside looking in, Ricardo, it's a bit of a worry. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's fair, Smithy. If you look at it from an all white point of view, um, I mean, you know, the obvious one I would say would be Ben Wayne. Um, he was scoring goals in the A-League for the Phoenix. That got, you know, goals are goals. Are goals and he got signed uh, by Plymouth Argyle in the UK. Um, he's not playing a whole heap up there at the moment. I, I expect he'll probably get more opportunities next season. Um, they are uh, pushing currently for promotion into the Championship, which is the league underneath the Premier League. Um, so they're going well. So he's playing at a good level. So he's there. Um, but there aren't too many more around. I mean, Max Matter started the first game against China and uh, Max is um, playing at the at Sligo Rovers in the League of Ireland um, and the League of Ireland's a tough league it's, it's probably you know uh, I think I think comparable to um, maybe a little bit better than than, than our national league, but sort of there or thereabouts um, in terms of physicality but there are a lot of players that are moving from there over to uh, over to the UK and, and picking up contracts, so it's not the worst league to be in. But I mean, that's uh, where you know the next guy is at the moment. He's he's playing there, and you know Ben Wayne obviously didn't come back um, because his team had a uh, EFL trophy coming up, and he was desperate to get into the team, and so he wanted to do that. And League One don't take a break over the uh, over the international break because you know, there's not enough players playing internationally there, so they can continue to play in that league and I think that um, you know that's really what's shown um, there that there is a lack of options up front outside of Chris Wood and Ben Wayne really I mean there are a couple of other guys um, who are kicking around but they're not probably playing in the the best leagues and not really getting enough match time at the moment as well so you know it's a it's looking for the next option I'll tell you a kid to watch who is coming through um, the system at the Phoenix actually is Riley Bidwa. He played a bit for that uh, under-22 team 
against China. He didn't score, but he played very much the Chris Wood role as the, as the big sort of target man that led the line and defenders. Uh, so he is one to maybe watch and keep an eye on. But uh, yeah, otherwise it, it does look like it might be a bit skinny at the moment. If you're Andrew Pragnall, CEO of New Zealand Football, do you have the power to appoint a coach? Does it go through the board? And where do you sit now that we've finished with uh, the China, China Chinese series? Where do we sit? Where do we sit uh, in your estimation well, with the coach? You know, I, I, I think it's probably highly likely that um, we see Darren Baisley get given the job. Um, and, I, and I say that, Smithy, because when there was a five-man shortlist a little while ago of that five-man shortlist John Herdman I think strategically used New Zealand football to get a better deal and more money out of Canadian football um, it was always a bit of a pie in the sky that he was ever going to come here but I think uh, Andrew Pregnall got sold on that um, as a result of that he told both Ufuk Tale who had applied for the job and uh, Des Buckingham uh, who had previously worked in the New Zealand setup at under 23 level uh, that they weren't the preferred candidate. Now, Buckingham had been offered a new deal at the Indian club that he's coaching, um, and he'd asked New Zealand Football if they would match it, and they said, look, you're not a preferred candidate, so no. Um, so he went and signed a new deal. Ufuk Tale has now said, well, I, I don't want to be second best, so uh, that ship sailed, so he's not interested in the job. So that's your top three gone. I know Darren Baisley was another one of those five, and the fifth, I'm not sure who it was. I'm, I'm still not uh, not entirely sure who the fifth one was. So if you look at that, um, you're down to two. And I know they've already advertised the job, but if you didn't apply for it the first time round, why would you apply for it the second time round? Um, Baisley's had two games against China, uh, and he's done well. I mean, China were ranked 25, 26 places above the All Whites, and he's got a win and a draw, um, which is going to help our rankings as well. So... If I was once again laying odds at the TAB, I'd, I'd have Darren Baisley in at number one as my as my favourite to to take the All Whites job. Good on you, Ricardo. Always great to to talk to you and get a common sense approach to football around the world. So, uh, thank you for stepping in and um, have a terrific rest of your day. We'll catch up shortly, mate. Thank you. Yeah, sounds good, Smitty. Go well, mate. Nine twenty-five here on SCNZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. A couple of hours earlier than normal because we like to switch things up here on a Tuesday. Smithy playing for a $50 TAB bonus bet. How did you go yesterday? Got beat again yesterday. Got beat uh, by Dave from uh, Cambridge yesterday. Fixed this up, so... Um, he, he he lucked out really. He, he chose a sport that he thought he knew nothing about and got them three. Bang, bang, bang. So uh, <laughs> I think it was just absolutely bluffing us. So who have we got in line today? First up, I didn't realise we uh, had some uh, sharks in the midst. That's interesting. All right. Well, first at the crease, we're going to Christchurch, and it's Murray. Come in, mate. Good morning, men. How are you? Hey, Murray. What's it like down in the old Christchurch, Christchurch? Christchurch today. Good. Yeah, lovely day, Smithy. Thank you. Excellent, right. Love to hear it. All right, well, for those listening at home, because we do have, we got some uh, new callers trying to get in, so definitely keep trying. Uh, when we normally play Stumped at 11.30, we have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, then it's over to Smithy for a chance to knock your bales off. If he gets it right, get out within those first two questions, and it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question, and we jackpot to $100 tomorrow. Now, Murray, your topics today are golf, cricket, and basketball. Take your pick. 
Well, we'll go. We'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll give you a chance, Millie. We'll go cricket. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sporting. Ah, Let's go, Murray. Let's go. Good luck. Brave man. That's what I'll say, Murray. Good luck to you. First question. Who was the Black Caps' top wicket-taker in their T20 series Game 1 loss to Sri Lanka? Oof. (sighs) I can hear the wheels turning. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think. Um... You got five. Can't think, can't think. Um, no, I can't even give you a name. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. All right, he's leaving that delivery. Smithy, over to you. Yeah, well, um, I, I know that uh, the three new boys got one wicket each, uh, but I think the leading wicket taker might have been, weirdly, Daryl Mitchell. One of the worst things I have ever seen oh, done no. on a cricket field. No. Going for the Lama, Jimmy Neesham, two for 30. Oh. I didn't even see a ball get bowled to that game, but um, anyway, good on you, Smith. Uh, well, hopefully, that, <laughs> hopefully that changes in the near future. <laughs> Second question for you, Murray. Who scored 112 for Australia A on Sunday in their tour match against the New Zealand A at Lincoln Oval? <laughs> didn't even know they were over here. <laughs> did, you, did you did you know they were here, Smithy? Yeah, I did, but I don't know the answer to this. Can you repeat the question, please? Who scored 112 for Australia A on Sunday? Got it. Okay, where you go, Smithy? I, I wouldn't even know who's in the team. All right, we'll leave another leave to you, Smithy. I think it was Matthew Renshaw. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, I like the confidence. See, it's a brave man to take Smithy on in cricket, but we are going to go to yep. Joey next at the crease. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, lads. Yeah, Smithy, just I hope everything's coming right down there in um, the Hawks Bay Fairs. Uh, hope everything's coming good down there, Fairs. Yeah, Joey, I, I think it is, Joey. It's on the improve. It's a slow process for him. I mean, 90% of, uh, of Hawke's Bay is back to where it used to be and they're just operating on, but the 10% will be hurting and struggling for a long time. So they're the people that uh, we're looking out for, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Joey, how are you on your cricket, mate? Oh, I'm not too bad, I think, but uh, yeah, we'll see how we go, eh? All right. Well, the last question is all here. $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Who was the most recent New Zealander in action in the IPL? Oh, I think it well, Kane Williamson, he got injured, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think it was Kane Williamson. One of the worst oh, things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. There has been another game since Kane got injured, unfortunately. Smithy, over to you. I don't no idea how, about this. I'm just trying to think very quickly who's over there. Uh, well, Conway's there. Uh, Santner's there. Finn Allen's there. Oh, God, I, I mean, I, I just... 
Lockie Ferguson's injured, so I don't even think he is there. I'll take Conway, Evan Conway. Got no idea. Oh, Smithy, you just made my day. You know why? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Devin Conway for the Super Kings. Nicely done. Guesswork, but it, it works all the same, mate. I, I honestly have not had an update there apart. The only headline I've seen is uh, uh, Williamson getting injured, and to be perfectly honest, that's where, how I knew that the IPL was underway because there's been very little fanfare on this side of the world. So, um, yeah, okay. Happy, happy to have a win. Yep. Joey, thank you very much for taking part, mate. Uh, appreciate it. And um, we watch you, call, watch you call through all the time. So thank you. And uh, next time, hopefully, you'll be lucky. Tomorrow morning, folks, uh, of course, uh, the good news is for those that ring up, probably close to 11.30 again, we shall be playing for $100. And it starts to get some meat in the, the old sandwich then, doesn't it? Uh, we'll be, be uh, back very, very shortly. So I'll just do a little bit of a technical work here in the studio and hope it works. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yesterday, the Atlanta Hawks did beat Dallas. They beat them by two points. It was an absolute thriller. But the Houston Astros went down to the White Sox, which was most disappointing because Everton and Spurs did draw this morning. So that would have been a $9 return had the Astros got up. Uh, We'll go to uh, a bit of baseball again. We'll do that throughout uh, the MLB season because it's so long you can't ignore it. Uh, The Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, to beat Pittsburgh Pirates today. They're at $1.60. Uh, the Delhi Capitals to beat the Gujarat Titans at $2.08 in the IPL. And Leeds to beat Nottingham Forest first thing tomorrow morning. Leeds to beat Nottingham Forest at $1.80. That'll be basically a $6 return. Maldi's out to five ninety nine, but yeah, there you go. So the Delhi Capitals into the Red Sox into Leeds at five ninety nine. Now, uh, I did uh, have a bit of a crack at uh, the interest level in Plunkett Shield cricket during my sermon. Um, so uh, to really just show that we are interested in it. Here's a little bit of an update. So either the Central Stags captain Greg Hay or Canterbury captain Cole McConchie hopefully will lift the 116-year-old uh, Plunkett Shield this afternoon. New Zealand's National First Class Championship poised to go down to the last afternoon. It's at the Saxton Oval in Nelson. What a beautiful ground that is on a sunny day. So get on down there because it's free entry. So at the moment... Uh, and it's about to start in about 15 minutes because they're making up for lost time on the first day. Stags lead by uh, 191 runs. Auckland Aces uh, declared, uh, and uh, they did that on the basis that uh, they could set up a great afternoon and perhaps uh, win this afternoon themselves, chasing down a total. So uh, plaudits there to the Auckland Aces for giving centralist Stags an opportunity to go and win it. So Hay uh, at the moment, Greg Hay himself is not out uh, 18 and the guest of the show, Jack Boyle is 37, not out. So they're 56 without loss, the Stags in their second innings. What they have to do now, it's a very flat pitch by all accounts, hard to get people out on. They have to set a total now which is enticing for Auckland to go after it, which they have to do and they have to enable themselves enough time to be able to get 10 wickets on a very flat pitch. So um, maybe it's a situation where uh, Ajaz Patel might come into a zone and hopefully uh, there's a little bit of something there for a spinner on a last afternoon or they can make the run chase that delicate and that tight 
that tight uh, that Auckland have to go after it and maybe lose a wicket or two in the process. That's the situation they're in at the Saxton Oval, 9.47 here. Your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, just looking at that uh, Black Caps uh, one day one day international squad for Pakistan, which was the latest one to be announced. There seems to be uh, a team named um, almost every day. Tom Latham, uh, Tom Blundell, Chad Bowes, Matt Henry, Ben Lister, Adam Milne, Cole McConchie, uh, Daryl Mitchell, Jimmy Neesham, Henry Nichols, Rav- Rachin Ravindra, Henry Shipley, Isodi, Blair Tickner and Will Young. Ask this question, and I'm not picking on Henry Nichols to a great extent here, but he has had a poor season. What would be the problem in picking Josh Clarkson instead of Henry Nichols? What would be the problem? Henry Nichols doesn't bowl, right? We know that. What would be the issue with giving Josh Clarkson rewarding performance in first-class cricket or in big match events at domestic level with a place to go? What is the future there? I... It baffles me. Anyway, uh, they're playing in Lahore, Lahore, Lahore. That's the three uh, first three T20s, and then Ralpindi, Ralpindi. So sticking at the main centres, Ralpindi again for uh, T- two T20s and a one-day international. And the last four will be in Karachi. So that uh, tour runs through from the 14th of April to the 7th of May. And uh, I believe we've uh, got a clip of uh, Col McConchie on the back of his selection. Um, yeah, really excited. I think, you know, always a, a great call um, receiving one like that from Steady. So, yeah, re- really excited about the opportunity um, ahead. The ODI um, boys have been playing some great cricket and just excited to be part of that group and um, learn um, in a fantastic country, Pakistan, and, you know, go about um, playing some good cricket and hopefully get a, an opportunity over there. And I think, you know, to make that ODI debut would be really special for. Um, not only me, but my family, and um, one I hope you know can happen over there. It's been over a year since you've played for the Black Caps. How much do you think you've developed over that time, and what do you think you'll bring to the squad for this tour? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think I've definitely developed not only as a cricketer but a person this last year. Um, I think I'm probably um, in a slightly better position to take you know this international opportunity upcoming. Um, potentially a little bit better than what I was in Bangladesh and I think you know having that little taste of international cricket was really exciting and you know hugely grateful for it but also I learnt um, a lot about myself there a lot about my cricket and you know I've really tried to bring that into my training um, and how I go about my work so you know hopefully in a better position to go about just you know helping the Black Caps um, succeed and be contribute to wins over there. Lastly the conditions in Pakistan will differ quite dramatically to what you've been playing on in New Zealand. How will you prepare for that challenge? Yeah, it's um, yeah certainly a, a lot different to New Zealand conditions, but um, I think, you know, probably a, a couple of different things. I think it's around the conversation in terms of guys that have played over there in terms of the Test Match Tour and the ODIs that they played um, sort of December, January and really trying to learn as quick as I can off um, those boys. And then secondly, I think, you know, factoring in a little bit into my training um, over the next week or two here in New Zealand around um, little slight tweaks that I can make technically. Um, And then just really 
you know, honing in when I get over there in terms of um, learning and applying my skills, um, you know, in the Pakistani conditions because um, certainly different to a little um, green seamers here in April, but, um, yeah, one that I'm really looking forward to and um, should be a great opportunity for some, um, yeah, some really exciting cricket. Yeah, a bit of um, exciting and uh, looking forward to type, uh, fairly typical sort of speak there, I mean, He's been there before, had a taste of it, so uh, here's another opportunity for Cole to uh, to try and cement himself a spot in that um, World Cup coming up um, in India in October and, of course, November. Um, but uh, of more pressing interest this week um, is in the golfing world, of course, Logan, and that is the Masters, uh, which should tee off uh, early uh, in the hours of Good Friday for us, so early hours of fr- Friday morning. Uh, and of course this is an invite only tournament from uh, those uh, people that run the Augusta Country Club Uh, what are you making of um, this year's event bearing in mind we do have an entry (laughs) yeah we do Uh, Ryan Fox who unfortunately uh, missed the cut there at the uh, TPC uh, San Antonio very tough course so um, a good one for him to try get up to speed with uh, the way that he has been playing trying to get a bit more game time over uh, in the States, I think the thing that's really interesting for me, Smithy, one, the timing is perfect for us, isn't it? It's a long weekend. And normally mm. normally on Monday, we're doing a show, whereas yeah. I'm imagining come Easter Monday, you're very firmly going to be on a comfortable lazy boy enjoying Augusta uh, on the final round. I don't blame you. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, the big one for me, Smithy, is going to be the whole PGA V uh, live drama, we can't get away from it. It's going to be the big storyline of the week heading into it. I mean, we're seeing Greg Norman saying there's 18 uh, live golfers who are part of the Masters this year. And if one of those 18 win it, he wants to see all 18 storm the 18th green. Could you imagine that? You could imagine what message that sends to the PGA Tour if that happens. Well, he's inciting there, uh, and that would be the, the most outrageous thing that could ever happen, uh, apart from someone streaking across the 18th green as someone was about to putt at Augusta. Yep. I mean, that is just out, it's just ridiculous to think that he would even suggest that publicly, and it's just, it's just a bait. It's just throwing out a big, fat hook into a stream and watching uh, someone from uh, conventional or someone from uh, the Masters reacting to it. That is exactly what Greg Norman's done there, and that, and that, in, in, in its sense, is what he's reduced himself to doing, um, just to wind people up. So, oh, it, it's it's going to be very interesting. They have a dinner to attend, of course. The former champions, there will live players amongst them, uh, so they'll be sitting alongside um, players that have not converted, um, who are on the PGA Tour. They'll be sitting next to a lot of old guys, older guys, the likes of Jack Nicklaus and Co. Uh, Fuzzy Zellers, those people who are still with us, um, who have been traditionalists their whole way through. So the seating arrangements there would be interesting, whether they're all at one <laughs> table and the rest are at another table. That might be interesting. Um, and then, of course, there's other protocols. They have all sorts of functions for former champions, etc. Then they have the locker room where their locker is there for life. If you win the Masters, you have a designated locker and a jacket in it for life. Um, so that's alongside someone. So when they prepare, they're going to be sitting alongside. So, I mean, uh, I think it'll be frosty. At the very, very least, it'll be frosty with somebody because some of the words exchanged, particularly with a guy like Rory McIlroy, 
who has been the leader. Um, that'll be interesting to see how he goes through the week. It'll make him a very determined golfer, and he is one of the favourites, I should say. Masters coming up, can't wait, really. Coming up to 10 o'clock. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, basketball fans around the country haven't had to wait too long to see their favourite Kiwi players back on court after the ANBL Championship Series between the New Zealand Breakers and the Sydney Kings. The Sal's NBL is back on Thursday, starting with the Franklin Bulls up against the Bay Hawks. But all the excitement and the build-up starts tonight at 9pm with the return of Hoopheads here on SENZ. And my next guest is the man who lives and breathes the Sal's NBL, Justin Nelson, he's been an integral part of it for uh, a long time. Good morning to you, Justin. Hey, good morning, Smithy. Great to catch up with you. I hope you're well. Yeah, I'm very good, mate. Thank you. Um, you've been to the UK. What were you doing over there? Were you scouting football managers or on sort of some secret business? <laughs> Did you have got some intel. Well done. Um, no, I was over there for a uh, big international sports conference, which just happened to be uh, based for a couple of days at the wonderful and very, very modern Hotspurs Stadium, which, uh, being a Hotspurs fan, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But the, the fan amenities and everything that's built around how they look after their fans there is quite extraordinary. So it was a great time. So can I, can I just ask you, um, wasn't part of the script, but so what was it about that, that particular conference as such? Yeah, it's a conference that's been going for, for more than a decade. It's, it's obviously very European-based, um, the, the title, or, or it's known as the International Sports Conference. But, look, it covers lots and lots of different things. These days, very much geared towards broadcast and, and over-the-top um, uh, solutions and digital and fan engagement and fan immersion and just all sorts of things that are geared around the delivery of sport and the way in which we interact with fans, the way in which we attract fans and the way in which we look after fans. And uh, it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of exciting things happening across the world at the moment, a lot of new things that we'll start to see emerge over the next couple of years. Obviously, football doing wonderful things in Europe, but a lot of Formula One, a lot of NFL. Uh, NFL is really taking a hold in Europe at the moment as well. And, of course, NBA, which is global uh, so, yeah, some exciting people to listen to and connect with. Well, fortunately for basketball, they don't have to worry too much about fan engagement because it's been uh, one of the features of uh, the local competitions in the last two to three years. But uh, how would you rate the free agency period as teams across New Zealand look to sign and build their rosters? Uh, and who have been the big movers for you? Yeah, it had a really slow start, didn't it? Uh, it was very much underground to start off with. Um, a couple of teams got going early. The Jets and the Airs were fairly prolific in the opening, you know, probably 10 days, while other teams have taken a little bit of time to secure signatures and, importantly, secure uh, international players. And I think one of the key reasons for that, and it will start to emerge from this Thursday night, we have about half a dozen, maybe more, players coming in from the NBA G League, which is the feeder league, into the NBA. So a lot of those players have signed contracts with NBA teams and every now and again they get called up and they play some minutes in the NBA. Uh, we've got a number of players coming out from that competition into the cells NBL this season. And as I look through some of those players, uh, I think a few of them are going to make some headlines for us. 
and uh, and maybe we'll see some of these players in the future actually stepping up and playing in the NBA. So I think a little bit late with some signings because teams were just trying to sort out which NBA G League players they could get. Okay, uh, any of the uh, particular franchises back at home a bit more conservative than you expected them to be in that market? Yeah, well, the Hawks are an interesting one at the moment, um, and we're going to see them first up on Thursday night against the Bulls. The Hawks have an all-Kiwi lineup at the moment. It's something that they dabbled with last season. They had just the one import come in, um, in Tawan AG. Uh, they've gone down a similar path, although they're going to start the season without an import. Obviously, that area of New Zealand has been... You know, pretty hard hit in the last couple of months uh, with the cyclone, and they're definitely still picking up the pieces. And along with that comes community support. Um, certainly, the corporate world has taken a bit of a hit in that area as well. So the Hawks definitely playing it a little bit conservatively financially at the moment, which is completely understandable. They've gone with an all Kiwi lineup. They may add an import down the track through the season. But having said that, their Kiwis. Uh, are pretty top-notch. They're high-level with a number of tall blacks in their team. So I'd expect them to come out pretty hard on Thursday night. Well, the free agency period for the Australian NBL is heating up a wee bit. Are you hearing anything about uh, Will McDowell-White? Does he stick with the breakers? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question at the moment, isn't it? Uh, definitely a number of teams in hot pursuit of Will McDowell-White. The, the Perth Wildcats have been active in the last couple of days. Um, they're making some good signings. We are seeing a number of players move between teams. It is becoming the norm now. Uh, you know, Smithy, I've spoken about, you know, athletes being commodities in the past. And, and, and not everyone likes to hear or think of athletes being commodities, but certainly once you get up to the pro levels, that's exactly what happens. It's a buy and sell world. And, and we're starting to see that emerge in basketball in this part of the world as well. Will McDowell, what? I'd love to see him stay at the Breakers. I know he loves it here in New Zealand, definitely enjoys playing for the franchise, but he's going to have some big money offers in front of him from those teams back in Australia. It'll be really interesting to see what happens. I know the Breakers are desperate to keep him. Right. Uh, let's uh, just uh, reverting back to the sales NBL. Uh, the Nuggets, of course, um, who are uh, our team, we've got a vested interest in them and they're playing through champions. They've done enough in the off-season to give themselves the best chance of uh, potentially winning their third trophy in four years, the Nuggets squad? Yeah, it's a million-dollar question. And, you know, Hoopheads returns to SENZ tonight. Looking forward to catching up with, with Casey and Ricardo. And uh, I've got to be honest... Right now, I don't have the Nuggets in my final six. I have them just missing out. Uh, having said that, if this season pans out like last season, it'll go right down to the wire with maybe nine or maybe all ten teams with a chance in the last couple of weeks to make the finals. But right now, I actually have the Nuggets missing out. Right. Okay. That's interesting and slightly <laughs> concerning. But we don't mind. We don't mind being. Don't mind being underdogs. We were last year and we got up and won it. Hey, look, just putting your other hat on it as well, um, you've got um, the head of, you're the head of commercial and events role at Sky Sport as well. You've got the commentary, you've got hoop heads, etc. so you're heavily invested. And what are the, um, what's the feel about basketball at Sky? I mean, it gets quite a lot of coverage, doesn't it, uh, with the NBA. We're now into March Madness, which in terms of uh, the American channels, it will just be rife on there. Um, what is the, the feeling about basketball at Sky? 
Yeah, look, it's a hot property right now. It's about a 40% female participation base across the sport in this part of the world through Australia and New Zealand. So it's a true family sport. We're seeing numbers, you know, balloon very, very quickly across participation through, you know, the junior competitions and the clubs right around the country. But we are seeing the emergence of our elite leagues doing some wonderful things as well. So obviously the Cells NBL, so here, which started last season with much success, and of course the return of the Breakers. So the sport is booming. Uh, it's not just booming here in New Zealand. It is booming around the world. Uh, having just been in Australia uh, last week, I can tell you that there's a lot of fanfare around basketball as well. Under 35 market in terms of consumption, so playing, watching, buying fantasy leagues, attending games. Uh, it is very much the number one sport. Great atmosphere, great engagement with fans. Um, I think you're going to see basketball continue to rise up the ranks very, very quickly. And, you know, at Sky, we're right behind it. We're right behind the women's game as well. And I think you're going to continue to see a lot of basketball uh, on the airwaves and, and through your TV screens. Which means, of course, you need um, a lot of commentators available to you with the expensive nature of the coverage. And I understand you brought more commentators in from Sky's perspective into the sales NBL this year? Yeah, we have. Um, all up, including the new Rapid League, which is a, a world-first innovation that will come out in the Women's League later this year. Uh, we've got 159 games to cover. Uh, and with that, as you just pointed to, it's a lot of work and we need an expansive team. I think one of the exciting things with our 11 strong commentary team this year is we have four females on the commentary team as well. And we will, for the first time, certainly in my knowledge, um, we'll have an all-female commentary team quite a number of times this year for Sal's NBL game. So I'm really looking forward to that. Taylor Johnson, who's very well known across other sports, joins our team as a play-by-play -play caller. Uh, so, yeah, look, it's exciting. I think we can continue to expand in the future as well. It wouldn't surprise me in the not-too-distant future if we've got probably 15, maybe up to 20 in the team. Right, OK. What's on Hoop's Head tonight? <laughs> That's the beauty of Hoophead Smithy. I don't think we quite know what's going to come out of our mouths until we turn <laughs> up there and, uh, and get behind the microphone. So, oh, look, Casey and I and, and, uh, and Ricardo, we always have a great time talking basketball. We'll have a look at the 10 teams, of course, leading into the Sales NBL tips off on Thursday night. Uh, we're, we're going to catch up with Jared Kenny. Now, this is a story. This is a really big story in basketball. Jared Kenny, long-serving player, both here in New Zealand and the Australian uh, NBL as well. Um, many, many games for the Tall Blacks. He's going to play again this season, but he's also moved into the role as general manager of the Hawks Bay Hawks. So he's got to look after everything off the court and he still has to go out there and do his job on the court. We're going to catch up with him tonight. That'll be a fascinating chat. And we also catch up with Mike Fitchett, the coach of the Nelson Giants. Of course, they had a magnificent season last season. Finished the regular season, second on the table, uh, bowed out in the finals. Uh, we're going to catch up with Mike Fitchett. He's always good to talk to, a lot of fun. So expect those two interviews tonight. And, of course, at some stage, it'll get off the rails and uh, become a bit crazy. But that's why we love Hoopheads. What about Tom Abercrombie? What are you hearing about uh, Tom Abercrombie uh, with the uh, possibility of um, maybe life after basketball? What are you hearing there? He'd be good talent, wouldn't he? Well, I can tell you right now that Tom is uh, going to be making some cameos this season 
uh, with our uh, Sky Sport commentary across the, the cells NBL. So stay tuned for that. Uh, he'll be coming in and doing some games. And I think definitely talking about the expansion of our commentary team at Sky Sport for basketball. You know, not just the Sells NBL and Tohihi, but the Breakers as well. I think you're going to see Tom in the future play a really big role in that. He, he scrubs up pretty well. There's Tom, he's got that big smile, and uh, he knows basketball back to front, presents very, very well on TV. We don't want him full-time just yet. I'd love to see him play out another year or two. I think he's still got a bit to give the Breakers, uh, but definitely uh, TV is calling for him in the future. Justin? Always great to catch up with you. I love your enthusiastic uh, attitude towards the game and all sport, actually. Um, are you, when you talk about fan and uh, head of commercial and events role for Sky Sport, mm. how are we going to get people uh, continuing to go to, to big fixtures? I mean, is that something you look at, the engagement, the fan engagement? You look at deeply. I mean, we see, okay, the Warriors are, uh, at the moment because the way they've started and they've had the, the, the absence away because of COVID, they're picking up big numbers. Are, are, you, are you at all worried? Is it, a, is it a discussion point at Sky in terms of some of our other major sports? Well, some breaking news uh, for those that uh, do care about what I do from, for day-to-day uh, work. Uh, Sky <laughs> has actually just shifted me into a new role. Uh, still got the commercial tag, but I'm now looking after commercialisation and fandom. So... Really good move for a media company. It's something that I haven't seen done elsewhere. I'm not saying it hasn't been done elsewhere, but I haven't seen it. Sky is now uh, headlong into fandom, and they have uh, they have me in that position to head up that area for the company. So we are absolutely committed to fans. We're absolutely committed to working with all of our sports uh, to increase fandom, and that in, you know includes new technology and everything that's happening around the world. We want to bring as much of that as we can to New Zealand. We also want to uh, harness New Zealand innovation in sport and take that forward and make it bigger and better for the fans. So there you go. I've actually just moved into that role this week. God, how many hats you got, man? <laughs> I think I could open a shop. Put it that way. You want to come and work for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, i got time. Okay, hey, Justin, um, all the very best. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much for, for coming on this morning. Nice to hear that you've got uh, another role. And, of course, most importantly for us here on SENZ, Hoop it uh, gets underway at 9 o'clock tonight. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Good on you, Smithy. See you, mate. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Justin Nelson there. So, um, a very new role with this fandom. Fandom. What do you make of fandom, Logan Swinkles? Are you a fandom, a fandom person? Uh, I I am. It'll be interesting to see what that role pertains. But Smithy, um, I do actually have a little breaking news. So I'm just going to roll roll the thing. Radio. Get to it. Come on, breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, this one, it's a sad one uh, for any fans of pro wrestling there. WWE Hall of Famer Robert Miller, better known for his wild in-ring persona as Butch, one half of the legendary Bushwhackers tag team, has died at the age oh. of 78. The news was confirmed by his longtime partner Luke's daughter Jackie on an Instagram post. Uh, when was it? This morning, I believe. Our dear Bob has passed away. Those we love never truly leave us. There are things that death cannot touch. We will always love you, Uncle Bob Miller, until we meet again. Love you, Jackie. And Smithy, just to play us out to the break, I think we need to hear the Bushwhacker theme song, don't you? Yep, absolutely. 
place to Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Victor Waters is with us this morning out of uh, TVNZ, Ada McLaughlin, who's uh, a freelance writer but uh, writes uh, very well for our local rag here in uh, Hawke's Bay. So um, it is um, good that they're with us this morning on this uh, beautiful fine day in uh, Hawke's Bay. So I'll go to you, uh, Aidan McLaughlin, first up. Uh, the Black Caps name yet another one-day international side to tour Pakistan. Gosh, uh, they're, they're going back there all of a sudden a wee bit. They must owe them a wee bit. So they, they go back there. Um, well, the side, did it, any points of interest for you? I, I mean, I, I would have thought maybe Clarkson might have warranted a go after what he did the other day. Yeah, morning, Smithy, and morning to you, Victor. Um, yeah, more cricket coming. Uh, not only the so DI squad that's been named, but of course, just before that, there's some five T20s against Pakistan as well. So, yeah, I would have, I would have liked to see Josh Clarkson in there. I think he has um, shown not only in Super Smash but also in full Trophy action um, that he is very capable and he deserves a shot. But uh, not to be at the moment, um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and hopefully he can put some, some more runs on the board uh, early next season and we'll see what happens. But um, So that's a bit, bit disappointing, but I mean overall, uh, I guess with so many players away on IPL duty, it, there's no, you know, this is a, another chance to give some more players some, some exposure. Um, I think Cole McConkey, you know, being in there is, um, I think that's justified. I think he's he's done enough over the years and and recently to to deserve his shot. And I think overall, you know, with five T20s and then these five ODIs um, over about three and a half weeks in, in Pakistan, I think it's just overall it's it's a good opportunity for people. It's good to give people exposure uh, at the international level, um, albeit it's on the back of a lot of people being unavailable, but. Hey, that, that's not their fault. They're going to go in there and hopefully take their, their shot. I think, Victor, what we're seeing here, good morning to you, is a, a clear indication that um, franchise cricket uh, around the world is going to more and more dominate team selections with a lack of those players as opposed to them being in. Yeah, good morning to you too. Yeah, I, I agree completely with um, what's been said this morning. Um, I think we saw in the previous tour of India and Pakistan in January that the drop-off between the Black Caps players and some of those sort of uh, first-class players that we have in New Zealand um, is, is a big drop-off. And I think it's great that players like Ravindra, Makonchi, Lister, they get this exposure, particularly in settings like Pakistan. Um, I think, you know, that ahead of a World Cup, you know, where there are some spots for up, up for grabs, I think, um, you know, that we could see some people stand up and, and put their hand up and say, look, I want to be at this World Cup for the Black Caps. Conchie's an interesting one. Um, I think he's he performed really well um, this season, the summer of uh, cricket. He scored the second most runs um, across all formats this season in New Zealand. I think more than a 1,000 runs across all formats. So, look, uh, he's going to be really interesting. Um, I'm going to keep, be keeping a close eye on him and see how he performs. But, look, I think uh, it's, it's important that, that these types of players get these sort of opportunities 
and we see how deep the talent is in New Zealand. Interesting, uh, I've got to say, um, uh, Aidan, uh, that last week we had free entry to um, a Ford Trophy final. We had free entry uh, today into the Plunkett Shield last day of the competition. I mean, short of paying people to go, what's next to try and attract people to domestic cricket? Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? I mean, uh, the Ford Trophy, for example, was on a Tuesday. Um, I know that they got a bit of a walk-up crowd after school finished. You know, people were able to kind of pick up the kids and bring them along. I, I got there, I think, for about the last 10 overs of the Canterbury innings, and I'd done a very quick count, and I, I counted about 90 people there, to be blunt. There was about 90 people at McLean Park when I was there, but by all accounts, you know, there a few more hundred did turn up later. But it's difficult, isn't it? And it's an age-old problem, you know, to to have cricket going on when there is people at work, there are people at school. Um, what almost what's the point in asking them to to make a contribution at the gate? You just got to let them come if they can come, and make it as easy as possible. But people are busy. People have a lot going on. I mean, we. We, we couldn't go back after school because we had a lot of after school things, you know, so I couldn't bring the two girls along, even though I would have liked to have gone. So I think it's a reflection on life being busy um, and just, yeah, just people really struggling to, to, to make time to go and watch. Mm. I'd be interested to see if it was a basketball game on at the moment, uh, what the interest, family interest would be uh, at a comparative stage. If you, you put one on at Pettigrew Green Arena at uh, three o'clock on a um, an afternoon, but the game was, was a final or it meant something, uh, how many people would exactly turn up, whether it's a reflection of cricket or, as you say, just time on hands and uh, the busy nature of the world we live in. Uh, Victor, Erica Fairweather continues to smash records at the New Zealand Nationals. Uh, here we have uh, a real prospect, I, I believe. It's terrifying to think she's only 19 years old. I mean, the future she has ahead of her um, is just phenomenal. I think already the sixth fastest woman um, in the 400 metre freestyle in history. So, uh, look, what a what an amazing talent we have on our hands. And I remember interviewing her at the Cobb Games where she um, she fell short of medals. But just what an amazing young young woman we have on our hands. She, there's, there's sort of this calm confidence with her. Um, and she's already three minutes faster than what she was um, in Birmingham. And what was that, September, July last year? So... Look, uh, an amazing talent, um, and, and look, I think she's going to be achieving big things for New Zealand um, at the moment, and, and a New Zealand swim team that is very, very strong. Like, we've got some great talent coming out of the pool, um, some very exciting prospects, and they're all relatively young, so they have a big future ahead of them. Mm, interesting. Um, I'm, I'm really, with track and field as well, I'm really look, looking forward to the Olympics already. I, I think we've got a fair chance of seeing um, people on the podium, which is so exciting. 10.30 take a quick break uh, with Araha when we come back we can talk a bit of uh, EPL the Masters which is coming up this weekend uh, the Football Ferns have revealed a new kit so coming up for the World Cup plenty to talk about here on SENZ Big talk big opinions the panel Victor Waters with us this morning and uh, Aidan McLaughlin and uh, Aidan I read an interesting uh, article from uh, Zoe George she writes some uh, Controversial stuff at times, but it's always uh, leaning towards uh, women and women in sport and uh, the treatment of women, etc., like that. And uh, this time, her article was about the new kit being uh, revealed for the World Cup. Well, it wasn't actually; it was about women wearing white clothing. Um, and she justified it, the whole thing, obviously, because of um, 
you know, for medical reasons, of course, and um, menstrual cycles, etc. They're, they're looking at protecting women more and making them feel a wee bit safer in their environment instead of wearing white. Uh, fully understand that. Um, and uh, we've seen that revealed in the new kit for the World Cup. Yeah, that's right. I must admit I haven't read Zoe's uh, piece yet, but I do note that um, Hannah Wilkinson, uh, you know, she came out and she said, you know, that uh, the fact that there's now a blue colour rather than white, um, it is fantastic for women with any kind of period anxiety, were, were her words. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, any, for me, it's, it's interesting. It's one of those things that once this has been done, you think, geez, why wasn't this done before? Um, but mm. I guess better late than never. But it, it seems such a, such a simple thing to do. Um, and if it, if it uh, makes the players less anxious, um, then, and that can help their performance, um, but one less thing to worry about, then, then it's a good thing. Um, I think, yeah, now it's, uh, it's all about moving forward uh, and hopefully this sort of thing will, will help the, the football firms actually just... Uh, I think we're, we're all a little bit concerned about their performance and, and what mm. might actually happen at the World Cup. So, yeah, let's put that behind us now and, and move on and hopefully they can actually start putting some, some performances together. Well, Victor, what do you make of it? Oh, look, I think um, I think it's a great thing. I was listening to Liv Chance um, today on Breakfast on One. You know, she was um, all, all in praise of it. And, and I have to admit, um, I fully back her points. You know, the more comfortable players are on the field, the better they're going to perform. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, p- things around period anxiety uh, is, is a very big deal for female athletes. And, and this is only going to help that. Although I did notice, I believe Brazil have, have white shorts. So it's not all of the World Cup teams who would... Uh, where white um, have changed this. So I think white shorts are still in existence at this World Cup, but I think the Ferns have made a good step in the right direction, especially considering, you know, and we've talked about this before, how big a deal this World Cup in New Zealand is going to be. Mm. And it's massive to, to engage young girls in the sport. And I think this is another attraction, you know, knowing the sport is going to look after you and has your best interests interest at heart. And this is a safe space for you to, to try football. And I think New Zealand football really need to capitalise on this World Cup and get more engagement with young girls. And I think this is a great initiative for that. Yeah, I, I do too. And I also believe um, uh, if it was a reason why, you know, uh, young girls or, you know, adolescent uh, young ladies who, who want to play a, a sport but are a little bit worried about having to wear white, um, it, it, it just seals the deal and I, I, I see that as just common sense really and as Aidan said uh, why it hasn't happened before is, is quite remarkable and I noticed I watched Ireland play France women's rugby at the weekend now Ireland traditionally are green with white shorts uh, mm. the women wore black shirt, shorts there which was uh, interesting as well right uh, let's get on to um, the Masters shall we gents the Masters uh, this weekend and uh, gee I wouldn't mind being a fly on the wall at the Masters dinner uh, to be perfectly honest, Aidan McLaughlin, because uh, whilst the meal will be nice and warm, I think the atmosphere might be a wee bit frosty. Yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too sure who arranges the seating plan at that uh, that pre-tournament dinner, a very famous Champions Dinner, Smithy, but um, they might have to just be a little bit careful this time. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Masters never needs any hyping, does it? It's, it's a fantastic start year in, year out to the, the major season in golf. Um, but this just adds a little bit of spice, doesn't it? Um, and I know Greg Norman has come out and he's been uh, very vocal about the fact that if, if one of the live golfers 
uh, does manage to win at the weekend, then the, the rest of the live golfers in attendance that have been playing will be straight out onto that 18th green to celebrate. So, uh, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see, A, what happens uh, with the live golfers, and B, if they do win, yeah, what the reaction is like um, by, by fans all around the world and their fellow professionals. Yeah, they are. They are fellow professionals. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, they're celebrating and playing in one of the, the great things that uh, uh, golf does every year with so much tradition, Victor. But I just wonder if they can, uh, as grown-up individuals, as they can work past that. Oh, I think so. It sounds like the players between themselves, I, don't, I mean, who knows? I mean, but I think there are, it's, it's more sort of people in, in the offices and the boards that are, that are sort of having this cold war. But I think between the players, they're right. But I'm a bit sceptical of this storming the 18th pole. I think Norman has an eye for, for audaciousness and I kind of see it as a bit of a marketing stunt a little bit because, you know, TV figures for Liver down 24% this season and, and they really want to change perceptions about them. So if a player wins the Masters, well, you know, that, that's a step in the right direction and a tick in the box for, for people who run Live. So, you know, I, I, t- I take it with a pinch of salt. Let's see how it all goes. Um but there definitely seems to be a bit of a siege mentality with the live golfers. They really want to prove themselves um, and, and, and show their chops um, in Augusta. They do. Um, I, I just love it. Um, I love the spectacle. I love the drama about it. For me, I, I, Aidan, I can't think of too many of events in sport that, uh, and there will be, um, but off the top of my head, maybe it's because I'm golf biased, but I just love this weekend and the year. I really do. Oh, same. And I, you know, I think back, and I've been watching the Masters for the best part of 40 years, and a lot of those years were in the UK. And um, so I'd be sitting up to pretty much midnight uh, as a as a young child, probably well past his bedtime. But it was something I always looked forward to, and always have since. Uh, and I think you know that 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 early weekend in April is just always something to to put uh, a mark on the calendar for. And it just always brings uh, drama, quality golf. Um, and just familiarity, you know, with, with the other three majors, uh, you know, rotating around different courses, uh, it, it, whether it's in America or, or in the UK. Um, Augusta just brings that familiarity, um, uh, and it's uh, it's a great event to look forward to every year. It is, and I, I see Greg Norman's resentment about it and trying to muck it up, one, because of love, but two, uh, he tried to win it on a number of occasions, finished second, 1986, 1987. And 1996, um, so probably he's a bit miffed that he never actually got a green jacket. Him, his presence at dinner would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Okay, let's move on to um, other people being rejected at the moment, and that Victor Waters um, is uh, all about EPL coaches at the moment. Uh, they are coming and going like the proverbial. Yeah, well, it's quite funny, you know. Chelsea change owners, but uh, their tradition of sacking managers. Uh, doesn't change, does it? Um, look, I think Graham Potter um, should never have really been signed by Chelsea. I think the, the gap between the jump between Brighton and Chelsea was was probably too big. He needed another stepping stone. And don't get me wrong, Potter's a great coach, but it, it, I think a lot of the things are not his fault. Um, Chelsea's been run terribly at the moment by Todd Bowley. They've spent, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds on signings, players that I don't think Potter even wanted. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, their biggest problem is scoring goals, and they didn't sign a striker. They signed Joel Felix, who is a good attacking player, but he's not an out-and-out striker, and he's not going to score you goals 
um, you know, 20 goals a season. So this this is a big uh, worry for Chelsea. They're 12 points from the top four. They're 12 points from the bottom three. I mean, that, that bottom three is tight. And, of course, um, I know you'll also be alluding to the sacking of Brendan Rodgers, who... Let's face it, I think overperformed a little bit with, with Leicester City and unfortunately now they're 19th in the relegation zone and I'm a bit worried about how they get out of that predicament. Although playing in their favour is the fact that the next couple of games they're playing uh, some of their relegation rivals and it is tight. I think it's only five points between 15th and 20th. So, look, it, it's, it's a very, very tough, tight season at the moment in the Premier League um, and, and the manager roulette continues, as it always seems to do. And Aidan, final word for you on that? Yeah, Graham Potter, I think, you know, definitely a good coach, um, but probably the wrong coach at the wrong club at the wrong time. Uh, five-year contract um, should in turn mean that there is some patience, some loyalty, but as we've seen with Roman Abramovich, and now Todd Bowley, uh, that doesn't seem to work at Chelsea. So, yeah, shame for him. I'm sure he'll bounce back. Um, as for Leicester, very different problems from there for them. Um, you know, stuck in that relegation zone. I think uh, not unexpected um, that Rodgers has departed. Um, and that they just need a boost. You know, they can still get out of it. It's pretty tight down there for the bottom six or seven. Um, they're not detached. Um, they're only one win away from getting out and getting up to mid-table, but... But there's 10 games left, so they just need a bit of a spark just to get them going and uh, into mid-table, hopefully, for them. Ada McLaughlin and Victor Waters have been uh, with us on the panel this morning in a number of varying subjects. Uh, so thank you very much, gentlemen, for the way that you covered those. Uh, we'll have another panel, uh, hopefully, tomorrow morning at uh, around about the same time, 10 42 here. Covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, we've had uh, a number of texts in, which I'll get to very shortly. Just an update on the cricket. Central Strags now lead by 246 runs with seven wickets uh, in hand. Uh, they're going for it at the moment to try and set up that uh, run chase this afternoon. So, yeah, uh, we'll keep an eye on that throughout the day. Uh, also, some texts coming, which has been uh, really good. Uh, Carl's coming and said, hey, Smithy, uh, just had a look at the weather forecast, and it looks like it could be wet or at Augusta. We're going to talk to David Bileski tomorrow. Of course, David is one of our sports uh, go-to guys. He's set to market as well. He'll, he'll have uh, a lot of interest uh, in what's coming up. In terms of uh, prospects for the weekend, he has got a great strike rate too on his uh, on his particular app, and I, I think that um, it's worth paying attention to. So uh, he gets some some big money players up um, from out of nowhere, really. Uh, so we'll have David tomorrow. A uh, sad news about Butch. Um, this is from Richard. I recommend anyone who hasn't uh, to listen to his podcast. Between two beers was hilarious and a great insight into their background and what icons they are in entertainment, New Zealand entertainment. So there you go. Um, that's uh, on uh, the death of one of the bushwhackers. Right, uh, also, um, this is from Kevin. Now, Kevin's coming a couple of times this morning. Um, he is obviously a bit hot on um, Henry Nichols. Uh, he is probably the most text of, uh, talk, texted about cricketer, talked about cricketer uh, that we have on the station at the moment. Of course, he got a double hundred last time, uh, Shut a lot of people up, but uh, really, I mean, he had that many opportunities. 
uh, is Nichols a blood relative of Stead, <laughs> says Kevin. I just can't believe how many chances this guy gets. He gets dropped on 10 and in the last test then goes on uh, to get 200. That was a straightforward wicket-keeping catch, by the way. Would that have ended his career? I doubt it. Well, that, that was another 30 tests guaranteed. So obviously plays Monopoly because he accumulates a lot of get-out-of-jail <laughs> Card for, to, uh, cards, that's very clever. Uh, can you imagine him as a New Zealand number four uh, facing Lyon? No. And he's gone up to back up to that, uh, Kevin, to say uh, 17 average against spin. Uh, same as Braceful from Wellington, who wouldn't be far behind. They have no idea on spin. Our four and seven, really. That's uh, from Kevin. Uh, yeah, so there, there's obviously some uh, real uh, feeling uh, about that. Uh, can I, Smithy, please explain how the Stags can dominate the one-day competition and get two players in the later with his bizarre, often ridiculous selection policy? Mm. Uh, there's a general feel out there, isn't there, uh, about this from some people. 10.50 here on SCNZ. Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Well, being Tuesday morning, uh, we've uh, sort of about three or four days after the event, but I noticed, uh, Louis Herman, what that you uh, had a member of uh, the Chittick family on this morning, I think George Chittick, to talk about a wonderful win from I Wish I Win. Just a shame the tracks went a wee bit off on the rain on the day over there. Kind of ruled a few horses out, didn't it? It was, um, I mean, that's racing really at the end of the day, it just happened. A little bit interested to see what happens this weekend because. It was a heavy 10. There's been rain already this week. I think it's going to be a bottomless track again. So that is a little bit of a shame because um, maybe some horses won't be keen to back up on another heavy track again. Or, you know, what does a horse like Animo do? Who really, the only thinking mm. performance of his career was in the Queen Elizabeth as a three-year-old on a heavy track. Uh, if they want to go to Royal Ascot, do they put him away for another day? I know that sounds crazy because it's a $5 million race to Queen Elizabeth, but He's a cult. He's more valuable than that. Well, he's a stallion, you know. Um, it's interesting to see what that, that rain does. But on George and the Chittick family are just such deserving people, really. You know, invested so much in this racing game. And Savabeel keeps doing it. He sired the Derby winner. He sired the winner of the LC Gold Cup and Brando. And he sired a sprinting Group 1 winner. So 2,400... 2000, 1200, he just does it all and he's a legend, Savabeel and the Chittick name is legendary as well, so it was cool to catch up with George Yeah, it was ab absolutely good, I enjoyed that interview as well, so in terms of the Championship Carnival, what is lined up for us to look forward to this week? Pennywicker Pennywicker and the Oaks, Smithy uh, I don't think she'll mind the wet um, I, I think she's coming in the market because of that as well so Pennywicker's exciting as a Kiwi and uh, Queen's the Turf Levante taking on the mayor from up in the UK, alcohol free that Yulong Stud has bought and are racing on with uh, Gay Waterhouse. And um, oh, I guess that that's the the Queen of the Turf will be an absolute test to see Le, Levante. will be able to see whether she stacks up with the great mares in this part of the world. So that that'll be fantastic. Some good Group One racing. And that's absolutely Group One racing. Um, so uh, we'll leave it there, um, Louis Herman Watt, and we'll get more in touch with you tomorrow uh, with racing that uh, is going on in this country as well. Have a terrific day, mate. Uh, hopefully we've got um, 
Brendan Popper. We have got BP from the TAB. Uh, morning to you, Pops. Uh, sports betting today, what's on, on the agenda? Yeah, mate. Uh, good morning to you, Smithy. Uh, not a lot, to be honest. A bit of certainly following what's happening in this Plunkett Shield match is, is where we're sitting at the moment with the CD uh, game coming up. And, and I know that there's going to be a fair bit of interest around that particular match. Uh, there was uh, a little bit of support for the central districts this morning when they were hovering around that 270 mark. So, yeah, keep, keep uh, tabs on that. That'll be live uh, throughout the day, obviously. Uh, in terms of what's coming up, though, um, the Masters. We're taking good money of mm. Scotty Scheffler to go back-to-back. He is the outright favourite at 750, followed by Rory McIlroy, and $1,000 on Cameron Smith. He got so close last year, he's at around that $23 close. Man, wouldn't you want to be around the green when Greg Norman and his men stormed the green with champagne and poured all over the winner from Liv? Uh, all that live money uh, on the 18th green, maybe. It'd be a sight to see, Smithy. It would be. BP, thanks very much uh, for uh, your input this morning. Uh, we're coming up to 11 o'clock. We're going to stay on the racing theme, actually. We're going to add a Hawks Bay CEO short. Parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, it's uh, time for me in particular to talk about a subject we mention quite a lot here on uh, SENZ, and that is, um, of course, racing. But uh, also attached to that is the ability to attract people to come to sporting events these days. And uh, we're going to the right man to do that, because at the helm of Hawke's Bay Racing is a a gentleman relatively new to uh, the racing industry as such. But CEO Aaron Hamilton has come to the role with plenty of experience in sports and entertainment industry in New Zealand, Australia, and the Middle East as well. He joins me now ahead of uh, the 2023 Hawke's Bay Cup Day, which uh, is set to be held at the Hastings Racecourse on uh, April the 15th. So uh, it's around about, uh, what, 12 days away. But it also doubles as a virtual event to raise funds for recovering rural community of uh, Cyclone Gabriel's effects. So good morning to you, Aaron. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Great to be on here with you this morning. Yeah, tell us a, a wee bit about yourself and um, the work that you've been doing uh, prior to this one, uh, this job that you've got now in terms of trying to attract people to the experience of sport and entertainment. Yeah, so I guess I, you know, I don't come from a racing background. I come from more of a traditional sports, you know, rugby, football, cricket and the like. But over in the Middle East, I spent a fair amount of time in, in Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia working on the Formula One which is uh, largely, you know, entertainment-driven and, and the sports have really grown over the years, uh, especially Formula One uh, as a result of the Drive to Survive event. But a lot of the work in the early days, in the early 2000s with Formula One was it was around the entertainment product and, and after-race concerts. And now what, you're, what you've got is a product where people aren't just going for the, the entertainment offering itself, they're actually going for the sporting uh, product um, of the Formula One itself, which is which is fantastic and a real shift in um, mentality there. So, from our side with racing, we're looking to do something similar. Really, you know, create a product um, where the community gets in behind from an entertainment perspective, but they're also really excited about the sport of racing itself as well. And that's not just from uh, watching the racing, but also you know through the, being an owner, a trainer, a breeder, or all of those other streams that are associated with the industry. It's quite an interesting field um, that you're working in there um, and also uh, hopping across now to the racing industry for which is probably, I think, uh, along with two or three other major New Zealand sports in this country, 
uh, really looking on regaining fan engagement, Aaron. It, it's become a bit of an issue. Uh, empty grandstands, uh, empty car parks, etc. So um, it's not as if you're, you're walking into something that is foreign to you, but it's a, it's a tough get at the moment. Yeah, it is tough, but it's a really good opportunity at the time, right? And it's about giving the, the fan what they want. And that's really important is understanding what what the fan wants and what sort of experience they're looking for. So we, um, I guess, a lot of sports, you know, typically been running for years, have delivered a similar product, um, you know, race in, race out. We actually need to deliver a product that the consumer wants. And, and with racing, we're really fortunate that that changes throughout the season. So, you know, we've got offerings in and around Christmas time that targets the corporate um, Christmas party market. We've got the New Year's races that targets the families. We've got the Hawke's Bay Cup this year, um, you know, coming up uh, next week, which targets the Hawke's Bay community and also those who had an affiliation in and around the Hawke's Bay and East Coast. Um, so there's always a, there's always something that racing can link back to in and around um, the race bay itself. Um, but as, as a club as well, what we are starting to do is actually understand what our fan base wants from the, each race day. So sending out pre-event surveys, finding out what food they'd like, what drink they'd like, what price point they'd be willing to pay what sort of entertainment they like, and actually tailoring a package that the fan is telling us they want to experience rather than us thinking they come to what we, we think they want. Okay, so um, Aaron, what is the virtual race day? What, is, what does that actually entail? Yeah, so you know, we're, we're partners with the East Coast Rural Support Trust as a, as a fundraiser um, for, the, um, East, uh, for the Power Farming Hawks Bay Cup Day. So for those in Hawks Bay, we'd really like everyone to come along to the, the race itself and enjoy a day out and, and a day of entertainment. And for those not in Hawks Bay, there's a real opportunity here to support the East Coast Rural Support Trust, and that's through virtual means. So that means either buying a, a virtual ticket, and, they can, and that's $5 for a virtual GA ticket, and you can buy one or you can buy 101 where you can buy a virtual corporate box that's $5,000. And there's a few more benefits associated with that that will be on, on broadcast on TV on that day. But what we're also doing on this particular day is for the, for the biggest um, donator, we're uh, giving up the naming rights to Hastings Racecourse on the day as well. So there's a real, real opportunity there to, to show our gratitude um, to the support for the, the person or the company that um, donates the most to the East Coast Rural Support Trust and that they actually get naming rights to the racecourse on that day on April 15th. Okay, that's interesting. Nice concept. I like the, the naming rights thing. Um, are you um, still actively encouraging people to get there in person to be part of the spectacle? Because, uh, you know, generally it looks better if people are there, surely? Absolutely. Look, first and foremost, we want people on track having a great time and enjoying the hospitality and entertainment at a Hastings Racecourse. You know, we've got a, a number of different um, packages available from a hospitality perspective. But we're also mindful it's been a challenging time for people at the moment financially and also, you know, there's a lot of people doing hard work out there in the community at the moment. We want those guys to, to have a break, come out and enjoy the entertainment. Um, you know, it's $15 a ticket, of which $5 goes to the East Coast Rural Support Trust, but there's a day packed full of entertainment and also engagement. So we're really looking to engage with the jockeys and the trainers and, and get people a feel for what it's like to be close to the industry. Um, but we also want to acknowledge and recognise the effort of the Hawke's Bay community um, in supporting the, the cyclone response. See, normally um, your, your liver mole day, which is uh, the last uh, day of your spring carnival, I mean, you almost have to shut that down. It's, it's, it's such an event there. Um, more aimed at, what, the, um, the younger market there? Yeah, the, the liver mole is definitely targeted towards the, the, the non-racing fan, but, you know, we have... Uh, an opportunity there to 
when they are on course to provide them an experience that they absolutely love and have a fantastic time to make sure they come back not just every liver mole but come back three or four times a year like I say racing provides a, an opportunity and a product that provides different experiences on different race days and you know we want to make sure that we create a, a genuine racing fan when they are on course for the liver mole and they, they come back three or four times a year if not more but as well as that they actually get into the industry whether that be through getting involved in a syndicate so they can have you know some form of ownership they, they you know develop a relationship with a jockey or a trainer or the like but it's about creating a sustainable industry as well not just come along to, to the liver mole once every 12 months. The uh, Hastings race course itself, um, I'm a Hawke's Bay guy, there was rumours around uh, relocating, etc. Um, uh, were they just rumours? Is that a possibility that uh, you might set up afresh somewhere else? <laughs> it's a, that's a topical uh, discussion, this um, you know, The reality is where it's got an earthquake prone building at the moment, that there's a lot of um, options on the table that we as a club need to explore for the industry, but also our members. So um, there's, there's lots of discussions happening here, but one thing I can assure you is we're going to do something that's going to be really impressive for the industry and make sure that we're set up for a really successful club. Um, and, you know, also racing will do a really good job for New Zealand racing and New Zealand thoroughbred racing at the same time. It's an interesting uh, concept. Often... Um when you look at, and I, I'm not, not talking about racing here, racing concerns me a wee bit, I'm a racing person, uh, but I, I'm also um, a general sports fan around New Zealand. It, it's not an issue that, um, that is, is, is singularly racing's issue. I, I, I look at um, crowds at MPC games these days, um, which is always the one, Aaron, that attracted the, the core person in terms of owning your own team. Uh, so what... Uh, what are we doing about... Do they have conferences or anything around New Zealand with the likes of yourself, with your expertise in the back, uh, talking to people about these things? Do, do, they have, do, do they ever get together amongst the various sporting codes and say, right, uh, this isn't just your problem or my problem, it's, it's a, genuine, a genuine problem. What are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, we just actually... Uh, we were down in Auckland last week, NZTR put on a conference where we, we had a few guest speakers from, from outside of the industry. Um, to your point, though, it's, it's, a, it's a common theme across all sports. Absolutely it is. Do we talk enough? My, my thoughts on that are no, we don't. Um, well, we don't talk, I guess, as a collective enough, but I guess as an individual, I guess people have different conversations with their different um, connections and around the different codes and, and different venues and the like. Um, so I guess absolutely more discussion is required because we do need to help out each other. But there's also real synergies between codes. You know, for instance, for us in Hawke's Bay um, Rugby, um, for instance, there's a real opportunity here to work closer together because we've got a similar fan base and we can create an offering as a collective where there might actually be benefits for the, for, um, the consumer by us working closer together. Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, a really... Interesting one uh, for me. So how, how do, um, just for people listening in, of course we're 12 days out for those people, obviously uh, they can go to the races, but if they cannot, how do they get engaged? Is there somewhere they can go um, in terms of a website or something where they can directly get involved here? Yeah, loveracing.nz is a fantastic website. It provides um, you know a lot of information in and around the industry, um, both from a... Uh, visual video content but also um, in, in written form 
Uh, a lot of information there in NZTR. The, the, the media team there do a fantastic job. Uh, I'd also say come along to the, uh, the Hawks Bay Racing website, uh, have a look there, and, and you can find out a little bit more about the club. Um, and there's definitely, there is definitely more uh, information out there for the people that are wanting to explore it. So like I say, um, love racing is the perfect starting point. I'd like to think that we follow up a close second. And I guess at the same time, uh, Smithy would like to see you down at the race course um, as well a bit more. Okay, well, there you go. Um, I, I do pop in anonymously every now and then on some of those midweek days and put a big hat on and, and um, just walk around the back and have a look at the, uh, the, the birdcage and the parade ring and things. Aaron, uh, but yeah, certainly um, I'm the kind of person, and you're right, uh, it's, it's up to people like myself who are members of the club to get uh, and support it more, and you're absolutely spot on there. So, uh, Aaron, uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Um, I don't think I've got anything on the calendar I might even um, just say to the War Office uh, maybe we can pop along uh, for Hawke's Bay Cup Day and, and get re-engaged in it because after all and that's the other thing about it isn't it it's, it's the Hawke's Bay Cup it's the power farming Hawke's Bay Cup it's our cup Absolutely, not only that we've actually got the Poverty Bay Cup on the same day right? so it's a real East Coast feel to it you know, the East Coast has been absolutely slammed recently. It's a great opportunity to get the community together, come on down, have a really awesome time out. But not only that, after the racing stops, you go into an after-race concert. So it's a great day of entertainment to come on down and hopefully people have a really good time and want to come back again. Aaron Hamilton, uh, good luck with your endeavours. I love the initiative and I hope um, that uh, the cause that you're working for as well uh, gets plenty out of it. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. Good luck. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, Aaron Hamilton there, who's the CEO of Hawks Bay Racing. Uh, like a lot of uh, racing CEOs around the country, always looking every day, looking for ways to attract people back to the races. I um, mean, uh, Hawks Bay, the Hawks Bay Cup is a time-honoured event. It was such a long, long period of time. You didn't need any incentive for people to go. They just went because it was part of their, um, their annual calendar. Um, and you see some of these race meetings, uh, these um, smaller meetings around Australian circuit where they take them and they have, uh, I don't know, the Alice Springs Cup or the Kilmore Cup or the Ballarat Cup. And all of a sudden, uh, the racetracks are absolutely chocker uh, because uh, it's their cup. It's their day of the year. Now, the Hawke's Bay Racing Club do have a day of the year. As I said, it's the Livermore Day. It used to be the Celt Capital. It's had a few names over the years. But, you know, that is just a given on the calendar. It's an absolute given. Um, and the youngsters who go there uh, bet very little but drink a heck of a lot and have a hell of a time, um, they, just, they just absolutely love it. But it's, it's, it's like the school ball. They dress up and they think, this is our day. Uh, we're going to cut loose. And it takes a bit of controlling from time to time. But at least it provides atmosphere on the race course. It gives a, it gives a real feeling uh, of being at an event. There's music, there's loud music. It doesn't always impress the, the traditionals that are there for the bear and the, uh, for the bet only uh, to look at the horse, um, the horse flesh racing round. But it is an event. But racing clubs can't sustain themselves on one event like that per year. It just doesn't work anymore. So I uh, wish them all the very best. Uh, Aaron Hamilton and the crew there at Hawks Bay Racing and trying this initiative and trying to regain regain the interest in the Hawks Bay Cup, the power farming Hawks Bay Cup this year. Uh, it's coming up to 11.18 uh, here.
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Right, uh, Logan Swinkle's back on deck today and uh, we're going to the sports desk where he comfortably sits at the moment with uh, what on your agenda today, sir? Uh, a big one for combat sports fans, Smithy. We'll definitely get Brian in on this one as well because uh, it impacts two things that uh, a passion for him. Big deals going down, big mergers, and I'm really keen to go deeper on this on tomorrow's show, Smithy. Because the WWE and the company that runs UFC will combine to create a $21.4 billion sports entertainment company. A new publicly traded company will house UFC and the WWE brands with Endeavor Group Holdings taking a 51% controlling interest in the new company. While existing WWE shareholders will hold a 49% uh, stakehold. Uh the new business, which doesn't have a name yet, will be led by Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel. Vince McMahon, uh, a name the wrestling fans will know quite well, a, the executive chairman at the WWE, will serve the same role at the new company. And Dana White will continue as president of UFC as well. And Nick Khan will be the president at WWE. So speaking on CNBC, this is what Vince McMahon had to say about why now. You are the WWE and the WWE is you. So why? Uh, it's, it, it's the right time. It's the right time to do the right thing. And it's the next evolution of WWE. I could probably do what Ari is right now with UFC. It'd take me 10 years, you know? By the time I would grab those 10 years, you'd be 10 years ahead of you. <laughs> so it's like, it makes all the sense in the world for all these synergies that we have you know, to extract all of the value we can out of the marketplace. So, Smithy, when you get two of the biggest companies in sports and entertainment coming together like that, it is just going to really change the landscape, don't you think? It blows my mind um, how long that the wrestling, big-time wrestling, we used to call it nowadays, uh, and how many people, Brian, continually go to WWE and put these people with their fancy names and their fancy outfits on such a tall pedestal and give them so much credibility it, it, it's, it's absolutely one of the things that confounds me uh, over a period of time yeah, yeah no no it is insane it's been called um soap opera for men uh but it, it, you find these days it's more the the kids uh are loving the wrestling here but just quickly smithy before we carry on i've got some numbers for you so i first heard of the ufc in 1998 uh because of uh wwf magazines they had an ad in there for ufc um and we didn't know what it was but then the likes of frank uh, uh no sorry um Sh shamrock the world's most dangerous man showed up in wwf and we started to gain a more of an understanding now in 2000 one, the original UFC sold to the Fratita brothers for $2 million. That year, Vince McMahon came out on record and said he was going to buy the UFC and shut them down. Now, again, they sold for $2 million, right? In 2016, those Fratita brothers sold it for, sold half of it for $4 billion and in 2017 sold their remaining share for $5 billion. Now, since 17 to 2023, where we are now, look at that increase in profit that is insane 
It is insane, Logan. It is absolutely insane. But it's all about interest, it's all about rights, and it's all about bums on seats, and man, do they turn up. Oh. Yeah, they do. Uh, it's a big UFC coming up this weekend as well with uh, our boy Israel Adesanya going, going for the title. So... And other news in sports, Des Smithy, the email, going for a bit of baseball. This is a big one here from uh, Jeff Passan from ESPN. It's something that's been in the works for a while. Major League Baseball owners voted unanimously to ratify the new CBA with minor league players formalizing their landmark agree- agreement that will more than double player salaries. Players late last week overwhelmingly voted in favour of the tentative agreement with thousands backing a deal that also improved housing, transportation and medical rights of players. The agreement will last five years uh, and it came together after the MLB Players Association created a minor league bargaining until last year. Upon the league's formal recognition of the union, the parties began negotiating and the final deal came together uh, two days before the minor league season began. This comes from years of public criticisms from players led uh, to that organisation and the eventual unionisation. And over the past three years, the league's treatment of them has improved significantly. And I mentioned that player salaries is the big impact here. So looking at this impacts all levels of minor league baseball from AAA downwards. So I've converted this to New Zealand dollars from American. AAA was, uh, their salaries were like 27.7K. They'll now go up to 56.8. AA, 21.9 to 48K. High A baseball, 17.4K to 43.3K. Huge jump for high A. That is incredible. Single A, uh, also 17.4K to 41.5K. Another huge jump. And then the the rookie league goes from 7.6K to 31.4K. So you imagine what that does in terms of, you know, having a decent wage, a livable wage, and the fact that they're now also going to be able to guarantee uh, transportation to and from venues for players, free housing, improved facilities, better clubhouse conditions, and reducing the amount of in-season travel. its I think it's going to be great for the sports, Smithy, and great for developing that talent further. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and uh, i just like to see more of our guys get into those leagues. Would you have any idea of, uh, of um, how many New Zealand baseballers would be playing in those very A- Single A, double A type leagues. I did do uh, when when the Auckland Tuatara were getting ready for uh, the Aussie baseball season. I was digging into it a little bit, and it seems like most come from that sort of high A level. We don't often get guys going into double A or triple A, but I'll I'll do a bit more digging. But those are kind of the areas where uh, you know the Kiwi players do sort of make their mark as they try to build their career. But you just imagine you, you have to work all your way up, Smithy, uh, from this. How many tiers mm. did I say? There's five tiers there to, yeah. to get up to the Major League Baseball. Um, it's it's almost like a one in a million kind of chance there. But one day, one day it'll happen. Yep, one day it will happen. Uh, who would have thought we'd have a sprinter in the NFL? And we looks like we might uh, be getting one there as well. Um, so we'll be, <laughs> we'll be hoping on keeping an eye on that. And when, and when you do, of course, the in- level of interest just goes up. A la Stephen Adams. Right, so 11.30 here on uh, SCNZ. Thanks for that, uh, gentlemen. Uh, we shall take the news from Araha and then we'll come back to Araha after that and uh, we'll be talking about some ag insights thanks to Colliers.
with the very latest in rural news. This is Ag Insights on Mornings with Ian Smith. Collier's Rural and Agribusiness. Licence REAA 2008. Yes, indeed, it is that time uh, of the week, uh, being uh, Tuesday at 11.30. It's an appointment with uh, Aroha to talk about uh, these Ag Insights, uh, thanks to Collier's. And first of all, uh, Aroha, massive news in the telco, telco space because black spots, black spots, which make a lot of people very angry, will soon be a thing of the past anywhere in New Zealand. Through, I drive through black spots to get to work every day. It's frustrating. My BBC World drops out. You know, it affects what we're so much more reliant on phones now than we ever were. And the rural community is excited about it. Farmers living in far from urban areas are excited about it. But I think anyone who has black spots who's found who may have found it hard to get cell coverage, especially when there are urgent matters. We'll probably be stoked. One New Zealand, we all know because it's a, the Warriors sponsor, but it used to be Vodafone, um, made the announcement this week that they're going to be linking up with the people that we now, that made headlines uh, through the flooding, Starlink, and people go out and star watch all the time to go and see the, the trail across the sky. But they're linking up with Starlink to try and get 100% cell coverage across the country. They're not the only ones, though. Two Degrees also announced earlier this week that they're doing a satellite-to-cell trial with Alio Satellite Provider Link. So good news. A couple of providers coming on board. And it's uh, very good news, in fact, because it is, as you say, really, really frustrating in the times that we live in. Uh, not such good news uh, for Fonterra. It's lowering the payout to farmers by 20, uh, 20 cents per kilo of milk solids as uh, global demand weakens for dairy products. Yeah, we wrote That's this. Concerning. Yeah, we wrote the story mm. yesterday, and I mean, you can give the big like they have this bracket of prices, so like low to high. But basically, the the twenty percent. 20 cents per kg of milk solids reduction. And when I went into looking at why, they said global dairy prices had been weaker than they had expected, with the demand from the Chinese market failing to come back as well as they had thought and predicted. And there's also, of course, the other half of the world, the whole northern se- northern hemisphere and their seasonal increase with spring production boosting supply, so a supply-demand thing as well. Wow, that's that's. Um, I'd never thought I find about it. Very it. concerning. I'd no, never thought, I about, thought about it. it that way. Because no. we know that's but what we do. Right. We look at our own backyard and our own pastures, and we think New Zealand's the, the only place in the world that does farming the right way. And we forget that there's a whole northern hemisphere and their season um, impact. Farmers will be sitting there going, rolling their eyes at me, because they'll be yeah. dealing with this every season. Twenty cents per kilo too. That's. Uh, that is a hell of a lot of money when you look at the production that we have in this country. Uh, uh, finally, um, on this morning, in terms of um, our um, Ag Insights, uh, Aroha, uh, if, why if dairy prices are weakening, why are we still paying so much for cheese? I hear everyone around the country <laughs> saying, my God, we make it in our backyard, but it costs us an arm and a leg to get it out of our backyard into my fridge. And I feel like we've been talking about this for maybe a decade. I went and did some independent research into the price of cheese. It's the same way that I did into the price of eggs, because all I have is my empirical evidence, right? I know how much I used to spend on a block of cheese. Um, And one of the biggest reasons is that 
the global dairy trade platform's fallen back to July 2021 levels, but the New Zealand stats show that the average cheese price was still $11.08, but inflation has been running hot. So Fonterra says basically the price we pay for dairy is set by global dairy trade. Now, when I break it down, all I know is that when my child was 10, I was paying about 8 bucks for a block of cheese. He's 25 now. And you can finally, there's been a production in cheese prices online, you can finally get a 1kg block of cheese for 9.99. I felt like I'd gone back in year, uh, gone back in time two years. That's only been recently because they've been up as high as like 15, 18 dollars for a kg. Double-edged sword this because Fonterra uh, are saying that they're not getting the profit margins in New Zealand that it gets elsewhere. So they recently wrote down the value of its domestic consumer business by $92 million, million. saying it had not been able to raise prices as quickly as its costs were increasing. So, I mean, it's catch-22, a massive catch-22, and we're dealing with, you know, uh, our basic products. Well, you would think that you would be loyal to your loyal home audience, but I suppose for them there is a bigger income to be made with a bigger market outside our borders, mm. right? So, well. uh, but there you go. I went onto the Pack and Save website and I found $9.99 1kg blocks of cheese and I'll probably go and hoard about 25 of those like I did with toilet paper through COVID. Yeah, well, you're the people we point the finger at then. You're one of those people. <laughs> as long as it's just a finger, Smithy. The cheese lady. The cheese lady. Well, look at me. I'm an athlete. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a character. I'll give you that. Thank you. Uh, give you a character. That. Thank you very much for your uh, ag insights uh, this morning, uh, courtesy of Collier's uh, Aroha, and we'll look forward to your 12 o'clock bulletin in earnest. With the very latest in rural news, this is Ag Insights on Mornings with Ian Smith. Profit from the best advice with Collier's Rural and Agribusiness. Licence REAA 2008. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, Plunkett Shield update, uh, we've been doing that and we'll continue to do that today. They're 24 for 1, uh, the Auckland Aces. They need to uh, get 268 more runs off 77.2 overs minimum. So that's a, a pretty easy rate of 3.47 runs per over, uh, you would imagine, on uh, the rates that teams score these days. But Central Districts had to offer them a generous, generous declaration on the basis that they declared behind and uh, set up this afternoon. Um, so, uh, yeah, Canterbury people will be watching and saying, why did they even give them a chance? Well, the fact of the matter is, um, that is um, the way it is, Canterbury. Right, right let's uh, move on. Uh, Cookie says, Smithy, went to the races last month with a group and absolutely loved it. But when you're paying eight bucks for a shitty 250ml can of beer, you're not looking to make it a regular event. That is true. That is absolutely true. And we get that too with... Uh, with rugby at the stadiums, the various stadiums, the cost of of uh, the refreshments is just so prohibitive that you just can't make it a regular thing. I, I get that, uh, Cookie, and that, that I think is something they've really got to look into. I mean, yeah, <laughs> they ask you to pay to get in and they ask you to pay in this and pay for that. I mean, it's lucky you don't have to put five bucks in a, a slot to go to the toilet. I mean, you just can't do anything, it seems, without paying through the nose when it goes to sporting events these days. Not the way it should be. 
Right, uh, Kevin has come in and said, uh, Smithy, I'd love to see AJS get five or so wickets. I don't think AJS, AJS is playing. I look at this, um, the Central District's lineup. I cannot see AJS Patel in there, certainly. So uh, he won't be getting five today. Um, yeah, Brad Smullyan is another name you bring up too, Kevin. Uh, Brad Smullyan's had a hell of a season. And he, when he scores, he scores big, but never, ever, ever mentioned in dispatches. Canary uh, have made both white ball finals this year and have made the last three 2020 finals. Central District's um, the, the last two one-day finals. Um, why is it, why is full of Canterbury, uh, this is, we're talking about the New Zealand side, why is it full of Cantabs? Maybe the question, why is it not just a CD Canterbury New Zealand team? Mm, interesting. Uh, you certainly get the Cantab vote for that. Um, now, uh, 28 for none. Right, uh, let's head across um, to uh, an interesting interview yesterday. And just play a small excerpt from it. Staffy's coming up, of course, at midday. But uh, yesterday afternoon, he talked to Andrew Webster and had some interesting things to say. SCNZ. Had a few questions about Sean Johnson. What's been the key to him turning around his form? Uh, I don't... Yeah, I'm getting asked it a lot, and it's a good question. Like, um, I don't think things are complicated for Sean at the moment. It's real clarity around what's expected of him and how to go about Um Sean's getting energy from his defence and his effort areas. Everyone sees the the result of the final try to win us the game or the kick to put it over. Um, Sean, Sean yesterday when we were behind, didn't throw the ball around or carry on and try and try and make up the, the points difference by just going off the plan. He went back to the plan with complete clarity. Um, and then we slowly we slowly mowed down the the points difference and I think Sean's just got clarity around what works for him and what works for the team And but I, I honestly believe he gets his energy from his defence and any special efforts so um, I, I think it's a real simple game for Sean at the moment and he's just when you're that confident man you've got to ride the wave He gave a fantastic post-match interview yesterday and he said some of the stuff that was being said at halftime was actually quite hilarious and quite funny with things like, just imagine, this is one to tell our grandkids, just imagine. Um, How much input did you have at halftime, or generally in halftime, and how much is player-led? Oh, I mean, it's it's always going to be both. It has to be, otherwise we're we're never going to have success. so I, I said it in a press conference. There's no Chichilian speech there. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't up on my box um, coming up with some great, great speech I read out of a book. It was all just around the facts. Um, was, you know, we didn't, we weren't yelling and screaming. There was no sprays. There was none of that. It was just boys. This is a fact. This is actually what we're doing. Doing so poorly that we've never done. Like, when I say we've never done, like this season, we've. That's not us. Mm. Uh, if we fix it, you, you'll actually be so shocked on, on what this could result could be. And the whole grandkids um, thing and stuff that Shawnee was saying us the game, like, yeah, that that was play driven. That was certainly wasn't coming from me, but I'm sure they can tell their grandkids one day about what what a day it was and what a great win. Uh, We'd be my producer Sam Hewitt, and he calls the games for SCNZ on radio. Here, he ages and poos his pants, and he just gets so excited for your games. 
I'm going to chuck it over to him because I'm sure he's got some burning questions. Yeah, still trying to catch my voice actually after uh, the last 10 minutes. It went for about 30 in my head. Um, Webby, mate, the, the decision, I guess, um, you know, Tohu getting ruled out late and the decision to to start Dylan Walker, what, what was your thinking around that and, and why did you actually end up starting Jazz in the end? Uh, Dylan, um, Dylan's like... So, well, it's a good question. The, the main reason is it's, it's one sub. So what I mean by that is I, I feel like Dylan Walker was going to need a break at some stage. So if I started Dylan, I would have to bring him off, which is one sub, and then I'd want to put him back on. So that's two subs. Mm. And I didn't want to waste that sub. So the idea was put him on after 20 minutes, and then he's there for the last 60, and that's one sub. Now, I, I don't think, feel like Dylan would have changed the way we started yesterday. I, I thought Jazz Tabunga did a great job. I thought like there was other reasons why we didn't start well. Um, and Dylan, historically, has never really started in the middle, ever. He's actually never, ever done that role. He's always been off the bench. So I didn't really I didn't really want to um, set him up to fail if he hasn't done that. As good of a player he is and experienced, he probably would have handled it fine. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to save a sub there because we, you, you don't have many. You've got to be smart around them. Mm. But also at the same time, yeah, Dylan's never done that. And Jazz has started plenty of times in his career. And I thought Jazz was, you know, his third game back was ready to do it. Yeah, very interesting, actually. Um, just getting to the, the bottom of uh, where this turnaround has come from and um, making it uh, more simple, perhaps, and sticking to game plans, perhaps, has uh, been uh, one of the things you get out of that uh, short interview clip from uh, Andrew Webster and insisting that um, you keep it simple. What was that saying? Keep it simple, smart, K-I-S-S, the KISS theory. Uh, maybe the Warriors are applying that just a, a little bit more than perhaps uh, they have been in previous seasons. And um, it's the game plan, the blueprint, and, and they're not losing sight of that in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the comeback, uh, which was uh, most apparent over the weekend. So... Um, that was cool. Um, Staffy's been getting some terrific interviews lately. I imagine he'll have uh, some coming up this afternoon as well. And uh, we shall confirm that very shortly.